0: Assalamu and welcome to this episode of the Mindful Muslim podcast. On this episode, I'll be speaking to Faisal. He has recently received a diagnosis of ADHD and dyspraxia. And we go into detail about his life leading up to his diagnosis, his childhood, his school life and his other relationships. And it's a really wonderful conversation. I really hope you enjoy it. And you share our video and like it on our social media platforms. Jazakallah khair. alaikum Faisal thank you so much for joining me today on the Mindful Muslim podcast it's great to have you.
1: Uh, thank you for having me Sivan. Uh,
0: lovely to meet you again um, and yeah I guess I will just go straight into um, our conversation and firstly ask you about your recent diagnosis that you had um, in terms of adhd what that was like for you um and also if you could give us a little bit of a breakdown some general information about adhd would be amazing i'm sure for um a lot of our listeners and viewers as well
1: so um uh, basically um adhd is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and it's uh, a part of the uh, neurodiversity or neurodivergent family tree so that involves autism um dyspraxia dyslexia dyscalculia um, and also Tourette's as well. and there's quite a few others as well um, so what this actually is it's um, if you look into it it's um, basically people with ADHD our brain size is, is actually uh, different compared to basically you could say 95% of humanity um, and it, it's basically a, a pattern of behavior which um, it's present in multiple settings so that's like for example at at home or at school um or like for example at work um so it's it's present it's like consistent but it sort of like manifests itself differently um and when it's sort of undiagnosed especially it can result in like a lack of performance in them areas um and um so basically, if you were to kind of look it into it in a typical narrative, so especially in children, it's a um, often a, a state of activity or excitement. So it's a abundance of attention. People think it's a lack of attention. But so let's say our brains are whizzing in so many directions at the same time and it's basically hard to control it. Um, so there's, there's uh, essentially three types of it. So there's uh, predominantly inattentive, uh, and then there's hyperactive as well and then this combination of both of them is basically what I've got so um, there, there's not essentially one cause of ADHD it's considered to sort of be um, a, a, a result of um, the complex uh, factors such as your genes and also the environment around you as well um, and also it it. it carries on from childhood into adulthood. So with, within the diagnosis, they, they judge you, uh, the psychiatrist judges you against, um, what's it called, uh, against these criteria, um, and they have to be um, from th- there with you from childhood to adulthood. So um, essentially, like, if you look into it in, in the UK, um, so there was a study done where there was uh, 10,000 children um, between the age of 5 and 15 years where they found a a, a percentage of like a four percent of boys and basically one percent of girls who had adhd in the uk um so essentially it's like they, they the psychiatrist will judge you whether you're a hyperactive person uh, that's a person who's whizzing around all the time so you might see a noisy child or a, a child that's completely not listening to you and they're always whizzing and they can't sit down and stay still or inattentive is basically like you could say where they're in fear in in very land of daydreaming or like sort of just totally unaware of everything going on around them Um and then the combination of them is is basically you have you could have both of them so i'm either hyperactive at one point or i'm sort of like in very land the next and that really sort of depends on how I um, am within my environment and uh, circumstances. Um, and also basically, um, so w- w- when they've done this sort of uh, examination of people's brains uh, with ADHD, they've done a study in 2017 of 72 young adults. And w- within the brain of um, people with ADHD, they have more gray matter in their brain and um, so like the widespread areas of the brains uh, of the people were also smaller in shape so that included the frontal lobe and uh, which is involved in the actions such as impulse control and concentration and um, people with ADHD also have low levels of dopamine transporters and depression and anxiety suicidality divorce issues these are all sort of kind of consequences or like can be very impacted um especially if you do have adhd so that's a show sure of that
0: yeah so um thank you so much for giving that overview um, and going into detail about the study you mentioned as well and um, there's clearly a lot going on and as you mentioned there's lots of different uh, presentations of adhd and how people experience them can be different lots of different symptoms um, but what was it like for you? So, um, you mentioned that, uh, sometimes children are, can be uh, diagnosed with ADHD, but, um, your, um, sort of diagnosis was, was quite recent. So what age was that? And what was it like to actually get that diagnosis?
1: So I was 26 years old and, um, Basically, I I moved to London at the beginning of lockdown uh, in 2020 for work purposes and stuff. And literally, I didn't know the world was going to change within a week. So that impacted my sort of obviously working from home like never before. Um, No routine, no structure like we had in university or in school days. Like There was always a consistent timetable or you're catching the train or catching a ride to drive into work. So um, it started to, I, I was 26 years old and um, so it started to, when I was living out there um, in, in in London, um, it started to sort of impact me in a way where I basically felt my life was just continuing, like it's just kept hitting the ceiling. So like two years ago, well in 2019, I, I was sort of diagnosed with anxiety and depression as well. So that's a big factor of this as well so since then my life just kept hitting the ceiling i went to sort of the council i went to counseling and stuff like that and i I couldn't figure out why but then working from home um i basically i worked in a busy press office so um and it was for a public sector organization and imagine my work directly had to go to journalists and uh very very important information such as deaths or accidents of road traffic collisions and stuff like that i had to be basically on top of it and so imagine my entire life i've been through school i've been through uni i've I've been through the traditional i've started my career career for a few years and i kept hitting the ceiling and then about a year later into my my career well um my workplace my line manager goes to me so you're good with certain things but there's certain things you're making mistakes on and that was my grammar that was my processing of information from like whatsapp groups on the phone to trying to incorporate that into sort of emails and stuff like that and I wasn't able to absorb the information and I ended up starting to proofread my own work about nine ten times um and I was still making grammatical mistakes um and I I, I couldn't I don't know why like I was just honestly it just kept hitting the ceiling for me um and my sentence structure my organization of information it was all over the place and i i couldn't pinpoint why because like i said i went through school i went through uni and everything and i've even worked with so many different companies so why didn't pick up then so um i that's where it kind of where i started to click on it was a bit weird and then i remembered uh um uh somebody that i knew um they they said to me back then that um like they feel that i might be dyslexic because i read something weird and i, I said it weirdly to them and they, they said to me are you dyslexic and i was like no like that's weird <laughs> nobody's ever said that to me in my life but then i remembered like a, a few years ago where um a few years ago somebody said that i had adhd sort of tendencies i was thinking what does that mean like honestly I never put my attention towards that <laughs> that's a pun um so like um I, I remembered uh basically I'm also an artist as well so this is where this picture sort of fits in so I've for the last it's been like this here alhamdulillah it's been 10 years of me actually being an artist as well so um from a young age, I was always whizzing, I was always participating in activities and even like my art projects, like for over the last few years, I've bouncing around so many projects, like honestly never before. At one point, I even got to the point where I was working 120 hours a week and that was juggling like three, four jobs, my creative stuff on the side and I couldn't stop. So that's the interesting part now. So like obviously everything was hitting a ceiling. My life was going downhill. I felt like the things I loved so uh fell out of love with the things that i used to do uh, so with art as well that's been on the pause for the last sort of few years i've not been putting my full attention within that my relationships are all over the place um like it made me start to understand like basically so from the thursday like there's a thursday to the monday yeah so from the thursday it was the situation where my old friend said like oh you you might have a dyslexia and stuff and then i looked into adhd because i remember somebody said that to me a few years ago and then, like four days i was just researching it non-stop what is this i started doing online assessments for like dyspraxia and all of them as well and um basically it started to tick all the boxes i was like yo this is actually crazy um and so i i literally so against all the symptoms and stuff like that i i i literally I got a notepad and I, I started to literally write down um all, all my um <laughs> all my sort of life experiences with uh with um with the symptoms. So how did I sort of like emotionally respond and stuff like that in line with the symptoms and I've done that for all sort of like dyslexia and stuff like that. So so I bought it up with my workplace as well, because in the end of the day, I'm, I'm feeling really rubbish about myself because, like, I'm making all these mistakes and stuff, but why, why can't I improve? Like, I keep on hitting this ceiling, and then that's where I contacted learning support, and that's where it got picked up. And then I went to my doctors, um, because I told my doctor a few years ago about the sort of depression and anxiety stuff. And I said, look, I have a like a really big feeling that I have these these conditions um, as well. So that's where I went. I went to my doctors, and then um, I, I told them, look, I might have ADHD, ADHD, and these other factors. But um, I then went through my doctor, and there's other organisation. It's called Access to Work. No, not Access to Work. It's called Psychiatry UK. Sorry, and with Psychiatry UK with ADHD you can get referred from your GP to them so with the NHS the waiting list was 3 years and to be honest like 26 years i could not afford to like my life was just hitting the ceiling too hard like it was basically crumbling basically All right and um so i went through that and then it took me about 9 from february so chasing them yeah it took me about nine ten months on the waiting list and um that's where I sort of got diagnosed in November um and then
0: so uh, just to interrupt you there to get a little bit more information about the is this the organization you mentioned is is obviously separate to the NHS and so yeah. it meant that your diagnosis was sooner
1: um uh, yeah so it, it, it was sooner than actually waiting on my local. Um, my local county service because the local services they done my assessment but they said to me it could take up to three years on the waiting list nhs waiting list um <laughs> i really couldn't do honest.
0: and so um the organization you contacted was psychiatry uk did you
1: yeah yeah because they have a right to choose a right to choose initiative so that right to choose is basically like you can choose whether you want to wait on the nhs or you could choose to go with them or privately Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. and so through them uh was it again assessments and and seeing a psychiatrist and officially getting a diagnosis
1: yeah so that was done through the psychiatrist and then with my workplace they done um they done the other assessments for like dyslexia dyspraxia and stuff because i already had it confirmed for adhd from my personal psychiatrist
0: sure sure um and i know that um in november 2021 it was um adhd that you were diagnosed with but also in conjunction with that it was dyspraxia too so can you give us a little bit more information of how that presents for you dyspraxia
1: so so adhd and dyspraxia that they're, they're literally like that um so with dyspraxia that kind that's impacts my sensory uh not sorry my my um information processing as well. so um like that includes a lot of clumsiness by left and right coordination taking directions whilst i'm driving in the car and let's say if there's like a radio on or something like that and somebody's trying to give me instructions it can get very overwhelming um and so that's that side but it also adhd also impacts that as well um so it's It's very very intense like how how they sort of work together um but that's the thing with adhd you can have other comorbidities such as dyslexia and dyspraxia autism as well so they all it's such a big family like it kind of works together in a way um but yeah
0: Mm. and you also mentioned um when you, were, when you were a child or a teenager, there were certain symptoms or tendencies that you had that sort of, um, or some behavioural patterns that might have indicated ADHD. But as you say, it was never something that was picked up either, you know, family, parents or in school. Importantly, a lot of schools are actually, I think, becoming a lot more aware about, um, you know, certain um, conditions or just noticing neurodiversity in their students' Um, so, what was it like for you, looking back on your uh life as a child?
1: <laughs> so to be honest like um, I was a very hyper child, who loved doing different things, and I had fascinations like watching documentaries I uh, loved transport like ships, planes, wanted to be a pilot as well like at two years old um I also loved nature, building things, Lego, I even had like a model Titanic at one point, putting that together <laughs> at a very young age. Uh, however, so I was also very emotional. Um, I was either this is with ADHD, so we have emotional processing is very very difficult. So I was either very very happy or very very sad, and nothing between. So, like if you looked at my birthday videos, family birthday videos for when you were youngest children, I was I was very impatient, or either hang angry or or extremely happy. Like there was nothing between that, um, and then. Um, Obviously, post-diagnosis, I learned this is because of my emotional dysregulation, um, and I couldn't detect it as I just thought it was just being me, like an emotional kid, or being highly functional. And um, but then I, I did struggle in school. But then again, I thought that was me. Um, and so, like let's say in English, you have uh, you have reading, writing tests, and then you have um, your creative stuff, and then this comprehension stuff, and. Consecutively, amongst all, 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 all the, um, all the exams, whether it's math or English or science or whatever it was, it was the comprehension which I struggled with, and I didn't know that I was struggling with that until obviously last year. So, no, I wasn't given that any twenty five percent extra time or like doom. I wasn't given any of that because the te- teachers would have picked it up because I was a teacher's pet or so nerdy I didn't fit the typical hyperactive naughty adhd boy so they couldn't pick that up um and then there was the constant um restlessness as well so that affects how um when i was sitting down all this trying to sort of bounce my legs squirm around i couldn't sit down on the floor so um uh, even on the sofa at home I, i've always been bouncing my leg again like just told off by family like stop it but i can't control it um so it's, it's like the fidgeting and all this feeling on edge I was really very actively engaged to like stimulus. Um, and then I also struggled with like friendships and groups as well. Um, I was clumsy and forgetful, but again, I just thought it was me. Um, another big factor. So this is the Islamic, how it affects my Islamic upbringing as well. So in mosque, obviously it, with ADHD, it basically impacts your reading. So when when I'm reading like let's say five pages on the Quran, or even if it's a book, like uh, five uh, was it lines I, I would forget what i've actually read like five sec a millisecond after reading it and that's what adhd is like my brain's moving so fast that it's got the, like they say it's, it's like a ferrari but with the brakes of a micro <laughs> like that that's how our brains are so like also it impacted my prayers as well so like imagine growing up forgetting things all the time and you're thinking is the shaitan or is the waswasa or whatever it is, yeah, like making you forget, but it's actually my ADHD brain. So all that time I was doing all them extra such after praying and stuff, but it was actually my ADHD as well. And that was obviously impacting my sort of inner confidence level. Like am I Muslim enough or whatever it is? Like all this feeling down about myself and then obviously back then it shouldn't have been this way, but obviously getting hit by the mos teachers with little sticks and stuff. And but it wasn't my fault, I couldn't read the Quran. So how is it, how does it feel as a Muslim, as a young child growing up? Because of the, there's a difference in your brain size and the way your brain functions, you're getting told off essentially for that. And then it being, the punishments were, but we even had to write lines as well, like in mosque as well, like, I must not, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And imagine writing, like, there was a point where you even had to write 3000 on them. And with ADHD, when your brain goes off, like it switches off on any boring task, it becomes tremendously... I couldn't even keep up with my lines compared to my other students in the class, because of my brain. So it's become, it's very excruciating. Um And then for example, I was also leaving my, my lunch at home or my lunch card or keys or forgetting homework. Um And one of the things with ADHD is also procrastination as well. Um, so I used to despise doing my homework until the very last moment and I would always figure out things beforehand to sort of figure that out, well, to make up that time, unless I was hyper-interested in the subject, because this is where the, one of the good things about ADHD kicks in, so when I'm hyper-interested in something, I could literally forget to eat and work eight hours straight, like, forget that there's a world around me, so that's the interesting part, but, um... I mean, like, for example, even simple things such as, like, um, putting things back in the same place in the house or in an organisational order, um, that that's that for a person with ADHD, like, compared to our neurotypical families and stuff, like, they're just thinking, why can't you do th- things in a simple way? Why can't you just simply do that? And I wouldn't know why, but then you're always feeling bad about it then constantly getting nagged and stuff and then growing into an adult as well from being a child to an adult and you could do so many good things but the simplest of things you can't do you can't put <laughs> your your shoes back in the rack or you can't do your laundry properly you can't put the dishes back in the dish rack in a certain order and you're getting nagged out by family members and things like that and constantly getting ridiculed for it how does that make you feel when you're supposed to be a mature person and because you are brain size um and then from that it, it led to self-esteem issues more confidence issues um at even one point I was, uh like led to friendship and relationship issues so even getting kicked out of school as well um ju- like friendship groups impulse of eating so gaining weight because our dopamine processes are very very short so that means we're always seeking dopamine and thrills all the time so with junk food as well like was eating that i was very very overweight as well so that led to even further confidence issues um so yeah it's it it was very like yeah a bit yeah massive roller roller coaster
0: really really difficult I think unless you've you've been through those so many challenges that you've spoken about there you can't really appreciate the difficulties that you've gone through and I'm sure other people that are out there listening or seeing us now um may you know, think about themselves and certain presentations that they have or certain challenges that they have. Um, so I really, really appreciate that you're being so candid and honest about your experience right now. Um, so we've spoken um, about your childhood and school life and um, what led on to you know knock-on effects in terms of your mental health um, and difficulties with with uh, relationships with with the people around you, even family um, and 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 friends. Um, but I wonder then, moving back to your diagnosis that you had recently, what did that actually mean for you personally? How did that um, change the way you felt about yourself?
1: I think that the diagnosis in itself, it, it kind of just like it, it ticks the box. It, it ticks the ticked <laughs> tick the box for me. Um, like it kind of showed me that I could point to something now. Like it's it's because of that. I'm not not actually loopy in the head, I'm not crazy, like my whole life I've actually thought I've been crazy in the head because of the way relationships or family, the way society, the workplace, this whole system has responded to me and I've internalised it all thinking I'm the crazy one but it's the way everything's reacted to me so it led to like something I've I've lifted, lifted off my shoulders now and... So from that point like I could, I could pinpoint it, um, but then it sort of like also showed me like how much of a stigma it is like to even be diagnosed with such a thing. Because like mental health is one area and then you have learning difficulties as another. So even though they're two separate areas, they're so interlinked to Zoro at the same time. But now that I could pinpoint to it as well because like it, it motivated me like... That to find out more about myself because the more I learn about myself imagine like for 26 years this has been a big percent like big percentage of my life that I've not known so I need to sort of figure out like actually how and why do I think this way or why do I do things in a certain way and how could I make life easier for myself Mm
0: -hmm. so um that leads nicely actually into my next question about how the diagnosis has changed your life so sticking with with you and and obviously your personal experience um you're describing here um it may not apply to everybody and as you mentioned the the different presentations are, are very much varied um in terms of what people experience you know they might experience everything you've said or some of what you've said or additional symptoms that you haven't mentioned as well but when you did have that diagnosis and since then um so this is still fairly recent Uh, you know but since then um, apart from that feeling of feeling like I know what's going on now um, and feeling more settled in that and and you understanding yourself better what other things do you think have have sort of changed since then?
1: So to be honest um, I've had like two rounds of like I had counselling like a few years ago but then I've had counselling now and I've also had coke coachings or well, like a bit of adhd coaching and you know, coaching and stuff like that and um <laughs> sorry i've forgotten the, well, the question no problem that's also a part of adhd well, as well, 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 <laughs> um, well that's all about, my question
0: was very long-winded um when you uh, were diagnosed since then certain things or or that you would have done um in your life um may have may have changed so apart from you feeling like a weight has been lifted what other things have you done to sort of um anything else in your life that's changed because of the diagnosis
1: oh so the way i i've started to think as and like because with one of the things is with um with adhd and stuff is we get a lot of intrusive thoughts um and so there's a lot of like let's say so so from the m- moment we wake up in the morning until our eyes finally close at night, it's like a radio switched on in our brain, and unless I don't have any background noise going on, like that's where my brain starts talking in a million different areas, and it doesn't stop. So I started to realize. So over the years, basically, because when when you're undiagnosed with some of these conditions, you start, you start to figure things out as well. So um I, I kind of tend to look at it holistically. So, um on on a personal day to day basis, like literally, I'm sitting in the room now, and um even with my workplace and stuff like that. Over the last sort of two three years, I've always had headphones in in ear headphones to block out sounds, um and sort of being very aware of like my senses as well. So with ADHD, we're overstimulated by a lot of things. So whether well that's um light that's to do with photophobia so it depends on the lightness of my room as well so if it's very very bright i i i could feel very blinded but if it's very very dark yeah i could feel very very sleepy so that was something i started to notice um there's um in terms of my energy levels and my sleep they're very very essential as well so um starting to look at um my daily sort of routine as well like how is it fixed on my energy levels am i, am I breaking my day up um because because one of the things was i used to be uh, i used to overwork and used to forget to eat so it, there's a lot of lack of uh, nutrition as well with people with adhd in the modern society um and then also like in terms of my nutrients as well so um i started to look into that so omega-3 is very essential as well um, and exercising as well so to help calm down and sort of stimulate certain symptoms looking at certain areas as well so of doing all of that sort of side and then doing also the brain work as well so about like thinking the coaching um, I started to um, do a bit more of journaling as well and um, sort of trying to organize my days around like planners and stuff like that yeah, uh, trying to become like more routine it sounds very robotic but I mean it's essential that people with ADHD and other neurodiverse conditions have some sort of routine
0: yeah I mean it sounds like you're certainly um more aware perhaps than than before in terms of how you're feeling and how you can make the day perhaps more structured so that it it suits you better and you feel like you're doing well and that you're you're positive, you're, you're feeding yourself, you're looking after yourself, you're also able to get everything done. So planning and being organised seems like one of the things that you've taken away um, for sure. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about any stigmas um, that you've experienced. You mentioned um, a few already in terms of your childhood um, and you mentioned uh, the mosque and, and, and maybe family members as well um, and just how different people have reacted to you. Um, any others that you wanted to sort of pick up or mention, um, before we, before we move on? Uh,
1: so, I mean, so certain things like, um, hearing that you're always lazy or, or that you can't fit up to being sort of perfect human being. Um, you can't, because you can't do certain tasks and stuff. So that's the sort of degrading part but then people like there's certain things where um especially from a religious and cultural angle so people if 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 a child was hyperactive and had a hyperactive form of adhd then they might think oh this guy's got this guy or girl's got gin in them or got <laughs> we got some black magic or something done on us or uh you might hear that oh well oh, everybody's i've heard from people saying oh everybody's got adhd like and or how ADHD is caused by sugar or or like um there was always for me it was like I was, I was falling behind in life like that's a, it's a, it's a constant thing even now like I'm always feeling that I'm constantly falling behind like in life because of people and stuff um and and then also like because obviously it impacts your career opportunities, impacts your growing up, um, impacts relationships, and because genetic is also genetic as well, so it passes on through genes. So, it, like, it's kind of um, trying to accept it, but then also trying to move on and sort of challenge the narratives because like with mental health and stuff like that. So, well, um, it 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 can get very very severe when it's undiagnosed as all, well. and it's it is pretty unfair um the way society responds to people with them conditions as well
0: yes so um you mentioned before about um neurodiversity and it sounds to me like it's super super important that we speak more about this subject and um so that it can really penetrate society as much as possible so that everyone is more aware that um neurodiversity exists in every single community you know every single uh, age group as well and um, it shouldn't be something that we are putting down to for example like you mentioned laziness um, you know or lots of other other taunts that might um, be directed at somebody that um, might actually have um, a different brain and a different way of thinking and a, a different perspective on life um, so how do you think we can Start to destigmatize um, the conditions that we've mentioned ADHD, dyspraxia, um, dyslexia.
1: So, um, I mean, like just showing appreciation for it. Like, uh, to, to, uh, to be honest, I've heard there's actually like a, in up north somewhere, I think it's like Bolton or somewhere, that's actually a send madrasa. Like, for the mm-hmm. first time I've heard, there's a mosque being built for special needs students or children. And
0: just for people that haven't heard of SEND, can you um also explain that?
1: I think special educational needs and disabilities, yeah. I think. Yes. Yeah. So th- that's very interesting. And here's a funny little story. Actually, a few years ago, I actually worked in a secondary school in the SEND department with kids who were... Autistic and had ADHD and other neurodiverse conditions. Little did I know I was actually one of them myself, and really? I got on with them as well. So that's a very funny um, part. Ironic,
0: but, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's it's very essential, like, especially in madrasas as well, because, like, I heard of a, a story just literally about one, two weeks ago where there was this very tall boy. Um, I think he was just a teenager, and one of the mosque teachers said to him, Look, you're so tall, but you can't read the Quran think like how much of an impact that would mean like oh wait this guy's tall and he's an older older child but he can't read the Quran. that what would that do and they find out obviously that he's dyslexic in school so it's a very very important because then you're being made to feel rubbish by most teachers and you may be made to feel rubbish by your school teachers and his friends and your school and your relationships and then that leading into the long-term impact what happens is these young children unfortunately they could end up on the wrong sides of society which then could lead to prison and there's also with like ADHD and stuff there's also high suicide rates as well so helping muslims see that it's not a jokey thing mental health isn't a jokey thing and so learning difficulties aren't jokey things um, because it can have long-term consequences in so many areas and not to the, only the person themselves, but the people around them, the family around them, and everything, and also showing that it's like I I'm I, I'm openly vocal with it about my family. I've got cousins who are cousins and family members who are autistic, and got Asperger syndrome, dyslexia as well. So I'm openly being very vocal in it within my own immediate circle, and I'm pushing it out there because I've I've first hand seen the impacts of it, especially being high functioning as well. So. Like, yeah, that it, it, i I personally see like for me it's a personal responsibility as well. But also generally as Muslims as well, it's it's a responsibility for all of us. Because Islam isn't only meant for the neurotypical Muslim who ticks all the boxes, who has all the sort of A to B uh car well lifestyle of uh live well going through school education earning, living having children whatever like it includes people who actually struggle as all well in the marys <laughs> it's not just for the so-called typical people
0: absolutely absolutely and um you know we we often hear this um quote about those that that are struggling especially when it comes to deen or reading the Quran for example there's so much more reward for those individuals anyway um, who are struggling so absolutely you know um, Islam not only sort of encompasses uh, people that um, you know have a neurodiversity or or, or are of that circle but it's more Islam actually embraces those people completely so um, I think it's again one of those many things that as a community that we can work on Um, And as you say, it starts with one person sharing it with their own immediate circle. And then there can be sort of a ripple effect where people are discussing this. And ultimately that, you know, if if we as individuals take it upon ourselves to look at other people with a certain level of respect and give them dignity and, you know, not put them down or or make fly away comments that seem like we might be wanting the best for a child or you know for a friend um, but actually those flyaway comments can be very very damaging to, to to a person so um, it's definitely about being more self-aware I think and knowing what we're saying when we're saying it and how we're saying it um, yeah so lots of takeaways for me there that's for sure um, I'd love to move on and, and speak to you a little bit more about um, some of the other self-care practices so you've actually already spoken about this but any sort of must-do self-care practices that um, you would or you do yourself or you would uh, recommend um, for our viewers or listeners who might be experiencing some of the uh, symptoms that you've mentioned?
1: So um, some of the things is like, for example, what we um, consume in terms of food. So I also know I have a weakness for eating cakes and <laughs> sweet stuff, uh, but, I mean, when there's excess, like, artificial sugar consumption, um, that leads to, sort of, brain fog and your energy levels spiking and depleting very, very quick. So, I knew that, obviously, after my diagnosis and prior to my diagnosis and stuff, that my diet was being really, really affected by that. Um, and then, also, looking at... Um, staying fit as well and exercising so um high cardiovascular activity so I, i've started off skipping as well um skipping i was doing jogging and things like that but obviously you've got to look at what sort of fits you so well, um to sort of expand your your energy out because with adhd our body's always seeking for stimulation a lot of the time so um, I've started that, but I also do freestyle wrestling as well, and um, that's basically like it's it's Sunnah wrestling, um, and that's really helped me over sort of especially the last last sort of five months. Um, it's it's been a real confidence boost, um, especially being surrounded by like other Muslims and all other um also other people who are learning and growing as well. So that that's really been a confidence booster as well, and also like challenging me men mentally. Um, so that's very actually interesting <laughs> so there was actually uh, I think there's some studies done um, on, on children who have neurodiverse conditions like autism and stuff like that ADHD as well and what people they, they start to do when they notice it in youngsters they actually send them to martial arts classes because with 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 like dyspraxia and ADHD and stuff that like with dyspraxia that I forgot to mention earlier so that affects my motor coordination skills so if I was writing I could only write for more than like a few minutes and my hand starts to get painful um and and that same with even me being an artist like for years I've been writing and drawing but um it's actually causes pain when I'm actually writing and I didn't know this my entire school period I just thought it was me but now I know and I have to look at adjustments but I mean with martial arts and stuff like that that's actually sort of helped me start understanding my my mind and how I coordinate with my body because there was when growing up with dyspraxia and stuff I was always having bike accidents as well um and not being able to notice left or right um uh, no, no, from left to right, or getting directions. I would really, really struggle getting with ADHD. I struggled to get to the train station, but then uh with timing, because there's a lot of timing issues, staying punctual and stuff like that with ADHD. But then with dyspraxia, a lot of this is the direction issues. So imagine m- moving to London and trying to use the train lines and train stations and stuff like it's very, very confusing. Over, it's it makes things very, very difficult with people in neurodiversity. But yeah, down to the normal level, it affects your your coordination skills. So martial arts and stuff, like that that sort of sport, it helps with coordination. Because I I then realised also, throughout growing up, I've also struggled with team sports. And that's very common with people with ADHD and dyspraxia as well, um, trying to keep up with everybody, especially when there's certain fast-paced things going on. Um but then martial arts because it's very, very individual focused, like the coaches as well, like I've I've had to explain a few things like with my about my condition myself I and mean, then they chunkify tasks up into small parts and stuff like that. So it's very very helpful as well. And then that, like the way I learned there, I, I try to see as a holistic thing. So I'm not just putting these adjustments in for work or I'm not just learning how to do things at wrestling that's actually also helping me train my mind in other areas of my life. So trying to trying to bring them all together. Um, and then that also, one one uh, I heard about one of these, where it says that a strong believer is better than a weak a believer as well. So applying that to sort of physical strength as well. And it's sort of strengthening the mind and strengthening your confidence and building on all of that sort of stuff. So that's been helpful in, in terms of that. Um, and also breaking up your day as well because obviously working from home as well and um, growing up um, well obviously we, we're in a sedate lifestyle and for thousands of years we've always been out and about walking around and we were never made to sit on office desks so even generally people with or without ADHD and these conditions can benefit from these as well so I even when it was a rainy day in winter I used to just w- take my coat out and walk around the block because then again, your your mind is just stuck between the four walls and you're not giving your mind a break. Um, and mi- mindful walking and nature, um, so there's um, gr- green, green is also known as a, a colour of peace um, and bringing tranquility to the mind. Um, and so that I started to implement last year, um, taking walks in nature as well and even like take my headphones out and just literally embracing the sounds um and then um it's very essential because i even heard about like this one disorder it's called nature deficit disorder quite a few years ago and that's actually because of our modern cities and stuff they're built of gray that it's a lot of gray everywhere um there's not anything of natural for us so they're saying a lot of children nowadays they're growing up without nature and that's really, really impacting them. Whereas they're stuck inside on the phones and technology, and it's very uh, impacting their sort of behavior and the mind, their thinking, and that's, um, that's also linked to actually um, people saying there's actually ADHDs everywhere, but the this because you've got to imagine yeah like our brain as a pinboard now throughout for thousands of years we've only been able to use like 50 pins and put 50 pins on that board but nowadays because we're overstimulated with technology we're seeing over like i think a few years ago it was like eight thousand logos a day or something uh advertisements and now because of the rapid dopamine firing it's actually producing adhd like symptoms on, amongst a lot of people so getting these essential breaks and getting chill like getting out and using your hands to do other things like building and like doing like you know like Jenga and stuff like that little activities so doing them on occasion they're really helpful um but then also with the vitamins as well so with omega-3 um I've only been taking that for probably I think since last Ramadan actually and that's essential because obviously within our diets they say like 60 70 percent of our brain is made out of like fatty, fatty acids and obviously, if you're coming from a say, South Asian background, a lot of them fatty acids are replaced with sunflower oil and stuff like that, with fried food fried food and stuff like that. But, I mean, the omega-3 is, um, omega-3 is um, that's what actually helps your sort of cognition and stuff, and that's very, very essential. And that only stays in your body for a short amount of time, hence why it's emphasised to take that a lot more and our bodies are over um over uh, in abundance of omega 6 as well so that's the stuff that we need less of but uh, generally looking for omega 3 um fish oil um you could get like um gelatin free tablets and stuff like that as well out there so that's been really helpful and um there's this ancient oh, this isn't like uh well modern day pharmaceutical pushed but basically there's ancient chinese medicines and they're known as like uh, medical mushrooms and that's like there's six of them they're known as the super six so there's chaga cordyceps lion's mane meitake reishi and shiitake and they're also known for like um their mental cognition your physical strength your energy levels and things like that so i kind of have like I, I, that's what I kind of look at is uh, in terms of my health, my rela- my, my religion, uh, my my physical fitness as well, and also my relationships as well, because with ADHD and these sort of conditions, we, we struggle with relationships and friendships as well, because I never really had any proper one friendship group. I was always sort of isolated or feeling lonely in my own world, like being nerding out on different things when growing up, but trying to sort of make time for family and friend time and make time to switch off because like i've I've been days and weeks where i've been working and I, i've actually forgotten where of the last time i've met my friends or family members but it's not mentally been my fault so trying to think of everything holistically that that's a good way of approaching
0: it amazing advice it was almost like so fully comprehensive facial thank you in terms of covering, you know, food, exercise, vitamins, getting out and about, you know, maintaining your relationships and, and, and really taking um, you know, onus and, and, and taking responsibility for, for all of those different things to make yourself feel well and happy. Um I think sometimes when we think about all of that it can be overwhelming and difficult. But as you said, you can sort of target one thing at a time and and hopefully get to a place where, where you feel really, really good and you're able to make time for the important things um in your life. Um, so I know that you started a Instagram page called ADHD visualized. And I wanted to ask you a little bit um, about, I guess, what prompted that and what, um, what came of it?
1: So <laughs> to be honest, uh, so with the ADHD visualized stuff, so cause I'm a creative person, I'm an artist. So I like to create things which can be very visual, but also easy, to, easily digestible, so and then I've had the background like I've done drama GCSE and I've always been an artist and I've done marketing and stuff like, like that. So I wanted to incorporate things in a way which are easily digestible. Um and yeah, so I've just kind of put on put put together like that head well, the username. Um but then also my motivation behind it, like my my essential motivation is I don't want anybody else to go through what I've been through in my life. Uh And obviously, there's been a lot of goods, but the pain, like, the pain behind it all, I don't want people to go through that, essentially, um, from whether they're young to whether they're older. So, that's the essential sort of, like, my intention behind it. Um, But then, like, I had an idea, I think it was in November, where I I made a video on uh, ADHD and being Muslim, and that went super viral on TikTok. (laughs) Like, I, I literally showed how through acting how my um how prayer gets impacted or how corrupt how is like when i'm reading quran and stuff like that so showing that because in muslim community it's not talked about and in the last study that was done on ethnic black and ethnic minorities with adhd was done in 2014 in east london so it's been quite a few years um and then basically like ethnic minorities um we're less undiagnosed less diagnosed as well compared to our white counterparts as well so really sort of pushing that agenda or pushing that motivation especially as a muslim and an ethnic minority and a young person growing up uh that's that's been my target and my approach but one thing i also remembered is that for example if if a person um so two ways especially when like when i'm reading quran like it's one thing i heard when growing up was that if you can't concentrate and stuff and like this kind of fits in with my adhd um because we're distracted by patterns on the prayer mats and all that sort of stuff as well and everything around us so just to close my eyes whilst i'm praying and try to visualize myself like just praying to god like and, and and not like like on a platform and not seeing that there's anything around me so trying to mentally disassociate from the world so and then also in terms of reading Quran or reading books um, I saw this one video of a I think it was a mosque teacher and there was this child in Pakistan somewhere that was very um, had ADHD and she couldn't sit still in the mosque class and what he actually done was he, he got the child's finger and actually went down the lines of the Quran like whilst reading it and the child was able to focus and i was like wait so this is what it is all these years, like i've not been able to do that so just trying to show like, obviously that the things that have helped me out the things that i've learned and like obviously raising awareness about the doom and gloom side of it as well um show that it's not just a superpower as people think about it or it's a fashionable thing to have because Nowadays, because of obviously the whole TikTok culture and everything going on uh, online, anybody like, oh, somebody's feeling sad today and somebody's said like, oh, no, I'm feeling depressed. You don't know the difference between being sad and being depressed. So for me, it's it's really sort of clarifying and putting that voice out there about the sort of the truth about it, really.
0: Mm-hmm. No, thank you so much for sharing um, and, and, and giving us those tips in particular as well. Um, Just just putting your finger as you're reading along, you know, whatever it might be, can can be super helpful. Um, And all of the advice that you've shared with us, thank you again. Um, I guess you've also mentioned already that um, you know, in terms of the the video that you that you um, produced, um, there was a incorporation of you know Islam into that. But also, um, I know as an artist and the artwork that you produce can be. inspired by you know Islam as well so um you know what, what kind of led you into that and and putting Islam into your artwork what what influenced you to do that
1: so Islam and artwork like traditionally um with Islam people associate it just with like calligraphy or like Quranic calligraphy and that's it um but obviously as Islam um I feel it's very very holistic and um with with art it's been therapy for me as a child and then with nature obviously we believe it's created as a sign of god so one thing i'll, I'll essentially when i started as an artist i was known as uh to known to paint landscapes and like sceneries um so i really really love that and so that reminded me of the signs of god and every time uh, growing up i used to love spending time in nature so that's incorporating that and the mental health aspect of it as well like it's, it's really really helped me in a lot of tough times in my life like just drawing feeling getting myself out there on on, on paper or canvas so that's really really been helpful for me
0: mm-hmm. amazing um I in staying with your artwork and, and the art that you produce um what 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 are you hoping that people will take away when they when they look at your work
1: um so like to not feel like there's any sort of boundary you don't have to be a professional artist with the old studio just to do art. like it's literally you could do it on a paper or you could you could start off with whatever you have at home you, there's, there's nothing fancy about it it's, it's it's therapy in it as well and if you want to become specialized you can and there's so many different medias and mediums you could actually use like that's essentially what I've done. I've bounced around with so many, but only by trying, it's uh what you learn, w- what you're good at, and what 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 would be beneficial to you. Um, and I feel it's very um, they they say a picture paints a thousand words or something along the lines of that. But um, so that's essential. How it is like you could paint or draw one thing, and people how people perceive it is another. So you don't really need to be critical about it. It's not like, obviously, I didn't even go through the traditional route of being an artist as well because I've got a D in my A level and then I didn't even do it at uni. So it's like using that as a therapy, you 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 can, it, it's very similar to like, for example, for me, when I do Salah, like praying and stuff, you disassociate from the world. And with, that's the same with canvas and paints as well. Or how even if you're drawing a doodling, like you could just you, you could just, I I personally feel like spilling from my brain straight down my hand into the ink and onto the paper. So I try to visualize the process of it like doing as well. So that constant flow, like you you're constantly in the flow of life really. So that's what I kind of see it as.
0: Mm, no, amazing. I think um um you know, you mentioned that there is there's a, there's a feeling that you want to invoke in people or, or a message that you want to give people as they look at your work um, so it's great to hear that that you you hope that they feel that there are no boundaries and they can be they can be free and be an artist too and it doesn't necessarily um, have to be a particular background or, or career path that you've taken but you can use art in so many ways as, as therapy Um. I guess we've also already touched upon this, but I'm interested to hear a little bit more about um your thoughts on stigma towards um neurodiversity in the Muslim community in particular. Um, I mean, did the response to the video that created that you created, for example, did it give you a different perspective? Um, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, because like, th- this is one thing as well. So when I created it, I I, I was always like even. And until after the video actually so I was very very doubting myself even with that account like am I actually doing this is it really worth it like is 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 there any purpose behind it and as it blew up I had so many people like commenting oh I, I might have this symptom oh my child's like this in school or in Moscow and 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 I had so many comments and then I even even in my even in my smaller circle in a circle I've, I've had people contacting me people who actually think that they may have it as so, well um so it's very very interesting because then it it, it reaffirmed it in me that there's is, there's is actual need for it that, that there's a need for it because where I've, everybody's hiding me needs the surface so me creating this platform or, or, or my these accounts and this video it was actually to cause a reaction like, in terms of that to, sh- to shake up the world a bit like to show that oh wait there's something that's been very very hidden but it's very very important um, And essentially if you look back there was actually a study done on, uh, on uh, a Kenyan tribe and they've actually pinpointed it down there's actually a, a, um, a gene a ADHD gene that's w- within the human body. So you had um, this tribe in Kenya, who had this adhd gene but then you had their sort of cousins the same in, in america and then they compared them and then they looked at the nutrition levels of them and those who were in kenya they were actually just tribal hunters hunter gatherers going to find their protein and the food and they were always keeping themselves full, full and energized and stuff whereas their counterparts in america they were under um sort of like um they were under or like they didn't do well in school or they were in prison or they weren't doing well so it it kind of shows you that there is an actual deeper societal level impact of it beyond uh beyond our minds and yeah like that's that really
0: absolutely and it, and it just um harks back to the point that raising awareness is so so important um you know, about a whole host of conditions that you've mentioned and neurodiversity within, within society as a whole. Um, I guess we're, we're slowly coming, coming to a close. I wanted to ask you about advice. So um, if, you know, we have people who are listening or, or um, watching us now who may be struggling with um, a diagnosis that they've had or perhaps um, thinking about the the conditions and the symptoms that you've mentioned, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's been given a diagnosis and they're struggling with it, or to um, someone that um, feels that they uh, may have uh, may have a, a uh, condition that we've mentioned
1: so um, with the diagnosis there there can be some problems sometimes like um if, if you go to a psychiatrist and you don't tick a certain amount of boxes and you still feel that you have it but you th- they haven't um they haven't like thought or well, they ha- through their sort of conclusion they don't think that you have it then i would also recommend you go through another psychiatrist you you, you continue to s- sort of look into it because it could be sort of adhd or it could be dyslexia or dyspraxia or you you may need to just get it firmed up because like what i done was when i wrote them two three pages of just continuous symptoms from childhood into adulthood getting that essential information now and how it's sort of impacting your life that's very very essential um and seeing how it might man- like manifests within this workplace or in your home environment your relationships um so that's essential part of it but then um also, if you do, let's say if your child is in school, so then also, uh, if you think your child has it, then also go to your SEND department. So the Special Education uh, Needs and Disabilities Department. So schools always should always have a learning support department. So continue to be on their case. Um, and Because like some of these schools or some organizations, that they, they could take long to get back to you. But then also, if you're in a workplace, um, so we you workplaces also could have learning uh, you could have learning support departments where you can have a occupational therapist and stuff so you could reach out to them um, but then as an adult you should also reach out to your your, your GP as well um, that's an essential part. And on, to top that off, you can get extra support. So once you've got that firm through sort of your GP and your occupational therapist and your learning support at work, there's also access to work, uh, which you could get support from. So that's like through, it's like a government initiative. So like that would help you, uh, uh, like, for example, with my ADHD, they've given me even more bigger headphones, which block out more sound for me. Um, and there's certain reasonable adjustments that you could get, like coaching, life coaching, like, with your sort of uh, your your diagnosis as well so um that's what ongoing so well and you, your workplace can get reimbursed by the government with that as well um so i think that's that maybe
0: that's such great advice thank you so much um it, it really um i'm sure will be so helpful to to people listening or to to friends and family of 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 um people that might have a particular condition that we've mentioned. I guess lastly, just before we go, um, I did want to ask you one last question about what's been the one top most helpful, helpful thing in your journey to, in terms of your, your sort of diagnosis and afterwards? What's been the most... um, What's helped you the most in your journey to keep you going?
1: I think one of the things was... Um, I even actually... One of the things i also done was joined a support group as well like men's adhd support group on facebook and that was actually the first time when i sort of started to figure out like do i have this or do i don't um i joined it on facebook like eight nine months before my diagnosis and that was the first time i actually felt that i'm not alone in this world anymore like i'm I'm, it's just not me feeling like this there's so many other hundreds of us feeling like this so that that's been really really helpful for me and also um one thing is like bra- brain dumping that's another thing so like that's literally it's like a journal you get a journal and like I literally date myself to go to a coffee shop or something like that and literally just what all the overwhelming things and everything that's just going on in my mind I just write it all out um so bullet bullet journaling is is a way of actually making it a bit more sort of concise um. So that, that's that been really like, they, they're, they're two essential things and sort of taking time out to even sort of like appreciate yourself because like things like boundaries, like uh, they're important Um, and noticing, becoming more aware about yourself, starting to learn about yourself is very essential. So which, which direction do you want to go in life? Like me, I, I have to take ownership of it in the end of the day. Like I don't want to continue my life being this sort of undiagnosed person. For me, it's like... I need to get myself to a place which is better for myself in the future. So I'm not sure if that makes sense, but yeah.
0: It does, it absolutely does. Thank you so much for being so candid and honest and open about everything that you've shared. Um, I certainly have learned so, so much. And yeah, just thank you again for for all the knowledge that you've shared with us, um, all of your wisdom. And, and I hope that you go from strength to strength when it comes to um, your diagnosis and your life and everything that you are are, are juggling. Um, so thank you again, JazakAllah Khair.
1: Inshallah.
0: Take care. Yes. Bye
1: bye. Thank you, Sivan, JazakAllah Khair. Well, you could take a song.
0: Well, thank you again so much for joining me on this episode of the Mindful Muslim podcast. I hope you found it enlightening and learnt as much as I did from Faisal um, with all of his wisdom that he shared with us. Inshallah, you took a lot from it. JazakAllah Khair, and I will see you on the next episode.